All right, this morning we're continuing our series on knowing Jesus. And, and I almost regret that I flipped these last two. Uh, originally, I was going to talk about Jesus as a warrior first, but I, I really felt the Spirit of God leading me towards saving that one for the end. And um, this is one that when, when we talk about Jesus as king, it, it's hard for us in American culture because if you study U.S. history, the, the only time we talk about a king, it's not a very good thing. Um, I'm reminded of one of my, my favorite films, uh, The Patriot, when Mel Gibson is trying to recruit men for the militia in Carolina, and he steps into this bar, and this Frenchman that is with him, he says, I don't think these are the sort of men we need. And Gibson's character just yells out, God save King George. And all these men stand up and start producing knives and different weapons. And they step out the door and pull the door shut just as a knife sticks in the door. And, and Gibson looks at the Frenchman and says, these are exactly the sort of men we need. And... And I, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because that is the way I walk through life looking at other men when it comes to building the kingdom of God. These are exactly the sort of men we need. And, and I want you to understand, I don't always deal with, with clean cut, you know, what you would picture walking in the doors of your church Christian men. I, I deal with exactly the sort of men the church needs. And we have men in our church right now that are exactly the kind of men the church needs. But you have friends that you think, no, nah, I'd never get that guy to church. That's exactly the kind of man our church needs. We need the rough and tumble guys. We need the biker. We need the guy that bellies up to the bar seven days a week. We need the guy that has been in a fight or two. We need the guy that's been to prison. We need the guy that's been an addict. We need the guy who is an addict. And that's a freebie. Okay, because this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus as king. And, and I want you to understand, men, you are called to be the king of your household. And women don't think this is going to be a completely sexist message, but I want you to understand that God has given men a role in your home. And you as a woman, you're called to help him master that role. Uh, I was told at a very, very young age that the man is the head of the household and the woman is the neck. She can turn the head any direction she wants. Well, let me tell you that when you are turning in opposite directions, that's when you're a pain in the neck. Okay? And, and I want you to understand, you're the neck. So when there's pain there, you, you could be self-inflicted. And, and, and I want us to laugh at some of these things, but I also want us to get the deep truth this morning that as men, if you begin to look at your household and your life in general as a kingdom and you begin to exercise the authority God has given you over it, you'll begin to see it prosper and grow in ways you never imagined. But the problem is we struggle as men to see ourselves as a king. And, and it's because we don't understand that Jesus is not just titled the King of Kings. He was actually given that authority by God the Father. And, and Jesus is the king that we're going to look at for our example, but we're also going to look at some earthly kings, and I hope we can get through this quickly because i got a ton of slides. It terrified me to look at how many slides I had and thinking, man, you know, I, I've been short so many weeks and now we're in trouble. But uh, our jumping off verse has always been, for this series, Jeremiah 6.16, where I'm bringing you to a, a crossroads and I want you to consider the ways of old. 
And, and God is, is calling us back to not old-fashioned thinking, but old godly thinking, where we begin to try and align our thoughts with God and maybe jump out of the rat race a little bit and slow down and let God lead us. Uh, I keep thinking of David's 23rd Psalm. I have never seen a shepherd run the sheep. Never seen it. Sheep dogs run the sheep. But shepherds gently walk and lead them where they need to go. Another freebie for you, that's an image you can get in your mind. If you're running the sheep of your family, you're probably a dog, not a shepherd. Ouch. Uh, there are two questions a man has to ask himself. And, and, and women, if, if you're a single woman here today, or, or maybe... You know, circumstances have made it to where there, there's no longer a man in your household. That's okay. You can ask these same questions. Where am I going and who will go with me? And if you ever get those questions flipped, you're in trouble. Because if you get a bunch of people going with you and you don't know where you're going, that's a recipe for disaster. Okay, I could take this out right now and just go teach a leadership course to small businesses or to, to big businesses. If you think you're just going to get a bunch of people excited and you don't know where you're going, that's a recipe for disaster. Okay? But there are three types of kings we're going to look at as far as looking at men. The, the first type of king, this is easy for us because of King George, tyrants. And the, the biblical example of that is Saul. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else, and his entire leadership strategy was based on fear and intimidation. If he didn't like, and I, I think the guy was almost bipolar. When he didn't like David, he would throw spears at David. He tried to hunt David down and kill him out of sheer jealousy. And anyone who did not line up with that was subject to the harsh punishment of King Saul. And as a king, he could just have you put to death. The second type of king is the apathetic king, the king who, who sits back and lets someone else fulfill his role. And there's no better example than Ahab. And if you haven't read enough of the Old Testament, know who Ahab was. Ahab's wife is more well-known than Ahab. Ahab's wife is Jezebel. If you don't know who Ahab is, it's probably a good chance you have at least heard the name Jezebel, and it's not a good connotation. It's a great cat name. Okay? Because I hate cats. And, and Jezebel fits perfectly. You know, get out of my house. You heathen Jezebel. But, <clears throat> I mean, it's great stuff. That, that's a cat worth kicking right there. But, but Ahab, over and over through the course of his reign, instead of stepping up and leading and making decisions, he would let Jezebel tell him exactly how he should lead and what he should do. And, and let me just tell you the reality of it. And, and this may be the most sexist statement I make all day, but there's not a woman in here that can tell me how to be a man. Because you're not a man. God didn't make you that way. God didn't make you to think like a man. He didn't make you to act like a man. There's not a woman alive who can tell me how to be a man. The only people that can tell me how to be a man are men because they know exactly what it is to be a man. Now, a woman can tell me what a good man looks like because God has innately put it in women to recognize good men. The problem with a lot of women is in their wild rebellion against God, they chase bad boys. There's a Backstreet Boys song about that somewhere, I'm sure. But... <clears throat> When a woman steps into telling a man how to fulfill his God-given role, she has crossed a line she should not go. You can encourage him, you can love him, but I can tell you that you will not ever make him reach 
the height of who God made him as a masculine male as a woman. You'll never be able to get him there because it's something deep between him and his Creator. There's a reason God made Adam first. It wasn't to set gender roles for all of life. It was because God wanted intimate communion with men because He would understand them in ways that no woman ever will. If that hurts your feelings, well, check the Bible. It's right there in print that God made Adam first and He made Adam in His own image. And He would make Eve and in an image that was desirable to Adam. There's a lot of people, he said, well, God made us in His image too. He fashioned you out of man in an image that would please man that would resemble His image as well. Okay, I'm not telling you this to insult you. I'm telling you this from God's Word. If you want to argue God's Word, we'll set up a time and a place and... We'll get it on because I'm going to step on a lot of people's toes by the end of the day. You will never shake your man out of apathy. I just want you to know that, women. You will not shake him out of apathy. You will end up usurping his authority and ruling in his place. Because that's exactly what Jezebel did. Ouch, that's not fun. Let's get to the good guy, David. David was an absolute screw-up. He messed it up over and over and over again. But the reason he's a good king is because he was a man after God's own heart. And the role I want you to see, women, is, is that you can step in and, and help usher your man towards the direction God has him. You'll never get to lead him there because you're not called to lead. You're not called to lead him. You're called to be beside him and to push him. Okay, the best analogy I can give you is the, the national championship, college football, 2003, the Bush push. Okay, the only way a quarterback sneak succeeded that gave USC a chance to, to win the ball game was Reggie Bush pushed Matt Leinert from behind and now there's still serious arguments whether that's legal or not but I want you to understand in the kingdom of God there's times you're called to push him and you can't push him from in front or you're going the wrong direction but David had people in his life and men I want you to see this you need other men in your life that will tell you the truth you need men that will come tell you, hey, your kingdom is an absolute dumpster fire right now because you're being a moron. That's not kind language, but that's the language men speak. We need men in our lives like David needed Nathan to come call him out on his sin. We need men who are going to step in and call out other men where they're falling short. We need fathers who are going to call out their sons and say, you can't talk to your wife that way, you ding-dong. You can't treat my grandchildren that way. They're going to grow up to be disrespectful hooligans. You've got to, you have got to step up and lead your household, son. We need men to do that. I can tell you, I, I loved my grandma. Absolutely loved her. And, and she would get mad at me sometimes and lose her temper, but I was never in deep, reverent fear of my grandma. My grandpa could come in the room and... <clears throat> and I was a different kid because grandpa, and he still does, was a king in his house. And, and it wasn't that he was was lording his authority over anyone. He served his household. He worked hard from sun up till sundown, and then when he came in, he still had the energy to love and to lead his family, to play with his family, to teach his family. The thing about David is David was a man of war his whole life. And when he made mistakes is when he got out of who God had made him to be. God had made him a warrior 
And David stepped out of that role is when he messed up with Bathsheba. From then on, David stepped back into the role he was called to be in until his sons finally said, Dad, we will take that burden. And, and David never got to build the spiritual house, but he raised the man that did. And sometimes that gets lost. The fact that you may be, and I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there, you may not be a good Christian. You may not be what you would think of as a great Christian, but I guarantee you, men, you can raise good Christian men because the next generation will reap the harvest of the seeds that you have sown into them. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be perfect. But you have to take steps to being who God called you to be. The best king model to our life is Jesus. He had all the authority of heaven and earth, yet He humbled Himself under the authority of God the Father. He never said, I have all this authority, I'm going to do what I want. He always said, my meat, the, the very essence of who I am and what I'm here to do is to glorify the one who sent me. He recognized there was an authority over him. If you want to be a great kingly leader in your home, you have to recognize the authority of God over you and submit to it. And that's not always fun. Because there's times God will ask you to do things that make no sense. It'll make no sense. And, and it's going to hit us before we're done today, men. God will hit us in areas of our life that make no sense. But you are called to submit to Him and then lead. To submit to Him and then serve. Because if you ever separate serving from leading, you have missed the mark. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but men, how many of you have intentionally looked for a way to serve your wife this week? How many of you intentionally looked for a way to serve your children or one of your children this week? It doesn't have to be all of them. I got five. I mean, it's a full day just serving a wife and kids in my house. Sometimes the best thing I can do is just serve them a meal. Sometimes the best thing I can do is see a chore that needs done and do it. This week, I don't know how many times I came home from, I have to get out of the house. I'm not, I'm never going to be good as a caged animal. And I'd come home and there would be trash bags on the back porch. And, and I would laugh. I would laugh every time I saw it because I know who's supposed to take out the trash in our house. I know his heritage and he should love cold weather. And he doesn't. And, and I looked at it and, I, and the first time I saw it, I, I just grabbed it and walked all the way down to the dumpster instead of just our trash bin. Because I knew by the end of that snowstorm, our trash bin would be that tall with trash if I didn't go to the dumpster. And, and as I was walking to the dumpster, you know, the, the Lord spoke to me. He said, sometimes your job as the leader in your home is just to take out the trash. To take out not only the physical trash, but some of the spiritual trash as well. And, and I looked Every time that there was trash on the back porch because it was cold, don't think it's going to be a constant habit, son. Uh, because it was cold, I took it. Over and over, every day, I took the trash. And I didn't grumble about, oh, the back porch is full of trash. Because it was out of the house, the dog wasn't tearing it up, and I don't really mind the cold. There's no room for selfishness or greed if you're looking out for the good of your kingdom. If, if the United States was to never exist and we were to remain part of Britain, it would have taken King George being humble and looking out for the good of the... It wasn't just a kingdom at that point, it was an empire. If he really cared about the colonies... He'd have heard our simple request for don't tax us without letting us have representation. 
Sometimes, men, the, the greatest thing you can do is simply listen to your household. And, and hear what they're saying and meet them on that level. Uh, and, and I'm telling you that this is not a lecture telling you you're doing a bad job. This is just calling you to excellence. Because there's doing good and then there's doing excellent. And when the men of God begin to do excellent in their home, their kingdom will begin to grow and flourish under excellence. Under good, you'll see small growth. Under excellence, it's explosive. You're looking out for the good of your kingdom. Your job is to nourish and to defend your family. And that's, that's one that strikes men odd, but I'll tell you, there's laws on the book in, in Oklahoma. They're actually kind of labeled under this thing of kingdom laws or domain laws that if someone enters your house illegally, you have the right to defend and protect your family up to lethal force. You can, you know, if somebody comes in, you don't want to be there without your permission, namely a teenage boy pursuing your daughter, you have every right to grab him by the back of the collar and throw his sorry hide off the porch. It's legally right. It's there. And people are like, that's not, yeah, it really is. <laughs> it doesn't, she's like, no, no, you know, we got girls over here like, no. Hey, what's our rule, Audrey? Do we date losers? No, they don't. And, and losers are the ones that try and sneak their way in the house when they shouldn't be there. You know, they want to be a man, come through the gate and meet the king. All right? It's going to tie together for you. Uh, Ephesians 5.23 says, Husbands, it's, this is the verse that a lot of people just really hate uh, because it just seems so sexist to a lot of people, and, and that's okay. Uh, the Bible wasn't written for your comfort zone. It was written to bring you into holy walking with God. And it says, for a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, the verse before that's the one people really get bent out of shape about submit. Wives, submit to your husbands. But I, I'm going to clear some things up that are going to make this, make this verse a lot better for everybody. You have to understand about what head of the house and head of the church mean. And, and this will clear it up to where all of a sudden, you know, if, if this dude's really submitting himself to God and following Jesus, it's going to be easy for a wife to submit to him because as the head, the, the trans, it translates to ahead of or out in front. So you're called to be out in front, men. Luckily, you're not out in the very front because that would mean you would have to lead and set all the direction. And how many of you want to set the path? I, I want to choose the path we're going to go. I don't. I don't want to choose the path we're going in this dark and, and dying world. I want someone out ahead of me and praise the Lord. That's Jesus. He's the head of the church. He's out in front. And then as the man of God, you're called to be out in front ahead of your wife so that she can follow you as you follow Jesus. This is not a turn around and, and check and see if she's behind you. You follow Jesus. That's why the verse before it said, submit to your husband. Because wife, you're called to follow his leading. And if he's not following Jesus and you see Jesus over here, I'll just tell you ladies, follow Jesus. The scent of your perfume will bring him back to the line. That's where the neck turns the head. I'm just telling you the truth this morning. But what a comforting thought that, that we don't have to lead alone, men. We're following Jesus. And that we're called to be out ahead of, to be in front of our family. If you're not the one who is growing closest to Jesus in your household, you've missed the mark. And, and I'm, I'm saying that in as much love as I can because I'm held to that standard too. And I'll tell you, I've got a, a beautiful wife who pushes me to stay out in front. 
because I see her in the early morning hours with the Word of God. I see her weeping tears of joy over the Word of God. And I think, I've got to stay ahead of that woman. Because if she ever gets ahead of me, I'll never catch up. The man of God, he fulfills his responsibilities to have a vision for his family. And he knows and communicates the rules of his household and he makes wise judgments. If you look at that and you think about a king, is that not a king that you would follow? I love living in a democratic republic, but I'm telling you, if, if Jesus set up a kingdom in the United States and he was leading as a physical body leading, I would follow him anywhere. I would... I would give life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness a way to follow Jesus because he has a vision for where we're going. You, you can't name me a single solitary person in our government today that does. He communicates. I'm telling you, this is a, not a knock on our government. This is the reality. You can't get two words of truth out of our government today. Communicates the rules of his household and he makes wise judgments. The last time a wise judgment was made was probably in 1776. But we'll, we'll stop there. I study too much history and I'm very politically opinionated. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish is one translation. Another translation says the people cast off restraint. If, if it feels like your household is a dumpster fire, it's because there's no vision. If it feels like your kids are just running wild and doing whatever they want, it's because you have no vision. It's not because your children don't have a vision. I'll just tell you, children are children. They're not called to have a vision. They're called to follow parents who exercise good leadership and have a vision. And I deal with kids every day that grow up in households with no vision. And you can pick them out the moment they walk in the door because they're the ones that cast off restraint. As a king, you must cast the vision for your kingdom. Define its purpose and direction for your people. How many of you have a, a vision for your household? Uh, ours is a very simple vision. It doesn't have to be super complex. It starts and ends with this simple mission statement. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It hangs on our wall in our house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We, we actually have a mission statement. I'll, if you want that, I'll, I'll share it on Facebook later. Uh, it's... It's a, a powerful thing when you sit down and, and some of you are looking at me like, you treat your family like a business and I'm looking at you like, you don't? Because if all we do is exist for the sake of existence, we're not getting anything done. You were called for more than existence. You were called out of darkness into His glorious light for, for a, a mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You were called and given a mission. That was by Jesus, the King of Kings. You were called to direct your household, men. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to take what we know about Jesus and about His love, and we're going to share it with everybody we can. When we see a need, we try and meet that need because that's what Jesus did. As a man like Jesus, you're called to do all of that with love. You're called to set a vision. You're called to judge wisely. I love the account of Solomon dealing with the two women. And, and they, they were both arguing whose baby this child was. And, and Solomon said, well, we'll just cut the baby in half and you each get a half. And, and the person who was lying agreed to the judgment. The real mother said, no, she can have the entire child because I would never 
would never let that happen to my child. Who do you think really was the mother of the baby? I mean, it was using wisdom. I'm, I'm trying to use wisdom by talking to my daughters openly about the kind of man I want for them in their future. You know, you, you think, I only bring it up casually here that we don't date losers. We talk about it a lot. That's why they know we don't date losers. Okay, We don't date a guy that's going to sit in the car and honk when he picks you up for a date. Ain't going to happen. He's not going to take you on a date till he comes and asks me first. If he's not man enough to talk to me, he's a loser. And if I'm gone, I have men in place who are going to step in to that as the, the sheep gate for my daughters. Because my daughters are not going to date losers. They're not going to end up marrying a loser. Because they're my daughter. They're a daughter of the king. And when you're a daughter of the king, you don't marry a loser. My sons are going to learn to act as princes so that one day when they're king of their household, they'll be able to, to lead their household with love and wisdom and vision. Because God gave us the ability to set guidelines for our homes that would let us in this world full of trouble live in excellence. You have to judge wisely. And sometimes that means taking your time. Don't make snap decisions and don't play this game of go ask your mother. I, I knew the moment my dad said that, I was going to get what I wanted. Because I know how to pull all of my mom's strings. And finally, I just learned to play the game because in that moment, my dad had stepped out of the role of king and had become Ahab. There, there's the real live example of it. And I'm not saying it was necessarily I was going to go do bad things. But my dad's authority dropped a notch because he said, go ask your mother. My mother had to teach me things my father should have. And this is not to shame my dad. He's watching. This is to say that I learned in those moments. I don't shy away from my role because God has revealed to me by allowing me to look back that there were moments my dad fell short, but he still loved me and he still loved the Lord and that I'm going to make those mistakes too. But I'm called to try desperately not to repeat the mistakes of my father and to judge wisely. If you don't know how to judge wisely, James 1.5 says, If any man lack wisdom, ask. Ask God who gives liberally. He's not afraid to give away wisdom. You know, Solomon could have had anything in the world. You know what he asked for? I want wisdom. Greatest king that ever lived. I know we're, we're touting the, the, the greatness of David. But I'm telling you, his son Solomon got a lot more right. And was probably the wealthiest, wisest king to ever live. And, and that brings us to, ouch, this one hurts. Manage your money well. Where, where I talked about my dad's shortcomings, this is one of mine. I, I, I struggle sometimes with money because... It doesn't mean that much to me. I'm one of those people that, you know, money comes, money goes. And, and I get in trouble all the time with that because, you know, don't, don't tell people you would do something for free because they'll let you do it for free. You know, if, if you really love doing it, you know, it's its own reward. But manage your money well. And, and to do that, it begins with, understanding God's principles of money. And, and I'm going to go through this really quickly. Uh, 
This is actually one of the more uncomfortable things to preach about for me because I, I don't like telling people what to do with their money. And it, it always sounds self-serving when a pastor gets up to talk to you about tithe and offering. And I, I promise you it's not self-serving because we, we're in a church full of people who get it. But oh, I can't blame the Oreos. I had a buddy call me out and ask me when I was eating Oreos. This time it's static. The pages are shocking. But Malachi 3, beginning in verse 6. And it says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I love the way he identifies himself there. The Lord of heaven's armies. That, that's a commander in chief. But anyways. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open a window of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I looked at that and, and I came to a startling revelation that if we would start to look at money simply as seed, a lot of us would be better with it. If, if you have a seed that is never going to fail to do what you sow it for, wouldn't you like that kind of seed, farmers? If you knew, it's guaranteed it's going to grow, it's going to produce, you know, I, I don't even know, 60 bushel, 60 bushel crop. 100 bushel, why not? Let's get greedy. Okay? <clears throat> you knew it was going to do it. You would sow that seed, wouldn't you? What if we just started to look at money as seed? Because think of it. You go to the gas station, you pay seed for gas, you reaped gas. You get gas in your car, your car goes from broom. Unless you're one of those electric people and then it sounds like, <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> you, you still had to sow seed to pay for that electricity. You know, right now, this will hurt this side of the room, but you're paying a lot of seed for college, for an education. But that education is going to bring back a return. Okay, well, we, we look at all these other things. If we sow seed to our, the grocery store, you bring home some food. Now, that's not where the food was made. We're farmers. We get that. Okay? You, you sow seed, the right seed to the longs, you will reap wonderful beef. And I still got to. I'm, I saw that bill laying on the counter. I was like, whoops. Okay. See, I'm bad sometimes. I'm just telling you. I, I, I get bad with seed. But what, what if we look at it and we say, God, you gave me this big bag of seed. And since you gave me this bag... The first part of that, I'm going to give back to you because every, everywhere else in my life that I sow seed, I see a return. What if you start to sow seed into the kingdom of God? You sow seed into the church, into different works of the gospel. I'm not saying you've got to sow it all here. But you begin to sow it in, and it's guaranteed a return. You know, we, we could go through and we can hit a lot of verses. Uh, Matthew 23, 23, this is a, a rebuke. We were talking about those in Sunday school. Some of my favorite images of the Bible is Jesus rebuking the Pharisees, is, uh, calling out church people. 
But he says this, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but not neglect the more important things. When we, when we sow that seed, uh, are, we, are we doing it out of that legalistic mindset? Or are we doing it because we love God and we want to see God's kingdom advance? That's, that's the real heart of tithing. You, you can do it out of obligation, and yes, God will honor that, but you want God to bless it, you do it with a cheerful heart, and you get excited. I love watching Titus take up tithe and offering because he's happy as a lark. He, he doesn't have a clue what's going on other than I'm carrying this around and people are smiling at me and throwing money in a plate. <laughs> has no idea. And I don't even know if he knows what money is. But we're going to try and wrap this up. This is a deep concept. I probably should have gave its, its own entire message. But prosperity, poverty in the Bible. The, the thing you're going to run into, the more you listen to different teachers of, of the gospel, you're going to hear different viewpoints on this. And, and I will tell you that the, the, there's a, a couple of cancerous teachings out there. The prosperity teaching that once you get saved, everything goes well for you. You'll be wealthy. You'll have jets. You'll have all this. That's nonsense and it's garbage and it's unscriptural. But there's the other side that God always wants you poor and sick and humbled out to the point where you can do nothing but rely on him. That is garbage as well. Uh, God never intended for you to be broke, sick, and poor. And, and God does not hate rich people. But God doesn't make everyone rich because, again, couldn't handle it. If I was extremely wealthy, I, I would not be extremely wealthy long because I'd be giving it away because I, I'm, I'm just a, con, a conduit. Money comes, money goes. But if you want to write these down, Philippians 4.11, I'm going to go quickly through them, uh, as quickly as a static-bound Bible will let me. My friend Reef is going to give me a hard time about my Bible having static in it. Not that I was ever in need... For I have learned to be content in whatever state that I'm in. Which is really interesting because a few verses after that it says, For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If, and we try and disconnect those verses because that, that next, you know, 13 makes us feel awful powerful. I want you to understand you're not going to be that powerful person unless you get verse 11. That whatever state I'm in, I'm content. I'm content. God, if... You know, right now things are tough. I'm content. God, right now your blessings are flowing and everything's going right. I'm content. And that's, that's a tough place for people to find because you really have to be drawn close to the Lord to get there. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. It says troubles. That, that doesn't line up with the prosperity gospel at all. And uh, Deuteronomy 5, verse 33. Oh, quit sticking together. Stay on the path the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Oh, a direct connection between prosperity and staying on the path that God has for you. Whew, that's not fun. But understand this, poverty and prosperity are mindsets. I have known some of the poorest people in the world who, who felt like they were wealthy and blessed. And I have known very wealthy people who, who felt like they, they couldn't spend a dollar or they'd be poor. Okay, I, I want you to understand it's where your mindset is. And if you're, you know, the, the Bible's very clear that 
he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And, and sometimes we struggle with keep our mind on Jesus and our pocketbook will follow. The, the two guys that exemplify this mindset better than anyone in the Bible are Joshua and Caleb. They, they go in with the other spies to spy out the promised land. They come back. This group of people over here says, oh, it's a beautiful land. They all agree it's beautiful. It's flowing with milk and honey. Grapes the size of your fist. I mean, it's, it's heaven on earth. This group says, but there's giants in the land. And they make us look as grasshoppers in our own sight. And Joshua and Caleb say, no, we're more than able to go conquer it. I want you to understand whatever, whatever place you find yourself in life, if you'll adopt the mindset that with God we can make this work, you'll begin to be willing to take big risk and go and you'll see prosperity flow out of risk. You don't get prosperity out of playing safe and playing small. You don't win big games by not making big plays. There's my football analogy, Super Bowl's coming. But there are three spirits, and I'm wrapping up with this, that keep us from prospering in the Lord. Not just prospering financially, but prospering for the kingdom of heaven. The first one is the spirit of fear. It keeps us locked up in the play it safe mentality. And it is impossible to experience the fullness of God and what he has for you if you are afraid to trust him. And you look at Abraham. Abraham was counted righteous because God said, I'm going to take you to a land you don't know. And Abraham said, let's do it. Let's go. The other 11 disciples only got to see people walk on water. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. The, the him sinking because he took his eyes off Jesus doesn't negate the fact that he walked on water because he was willing to take a risk. And if you look at it from the real true depth of the story, he took the risk, he started to fail, and God would not let him. The spirit of guilt. This causes people to sinfully self-depreciate. This is a false extreme humility that causes people to become ineffective for God's kingdom, often apologizing for God's blessings in their life. You know, I, I just have this money because God, you know, God gave it to me. And they're, they're almost ashamed to be wealthy. And they're almost ashamed of the blessing of God on their life. You know, I'm, I'm not really a gifted speaker. That's why you don't get to go speak. Because you, you have this false humility. God gave you a gift. You better go use it. I'm not a gifted musician. Yes, you are. If, if God gave you a gift, you need to use it. Quit saying I'm really not all that good. Nobody wants that. Nobody's drawn to that. You want to draw people to the kingdom, you have to lift God up with what he gave you and not shy away and use the excuse of, well, I don't know why he blesses me like this. Because he's God and he blesses who he wants to. Get over yourself and begin to grow the kingdom. The spirit of poverty, and this one hits really hard. It blinds a person to opportunities because they look more at what they can't do or what they don't have than recognizing that you know, God's going to make a way. Imagine if the children of Israel had gotten to the Red Sea and just gave up. If Moses looked at the Red Sea and just said, we're done. We're done. You know, even God can't save us here. And that's the way a lot of people in poverty react. They have a victim's mentality. They use their circumstances as an excuse to remain in a prison that they have personally built for themselves. Well, I'm just going to be poor. I'm going to be poor. I'm not going to look for ways to quit being poor. I'm going to be spiritually poor because, well, I, don't, I can't read the Bible. I just can't read. I, I, I can't read books. I can't concentrate that long. There's audio Bibles. You can just listen to it in your ears. James Earl Jones is a great reader. I mean, I wish he'd read it in Darth Vader's voice. That'd be awesome. 
but you're called to be the leader in your home. And when it comes to finances, giving money away doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem like a logical pathway to prosperity. But God's blessing is often found in the most illogical of methods. What did Jesus do to feed a multitude? He got a little boy's sack lunch. I'm telling you, if that little boy ate like Titus, there was nothing in it. God took the illogical. Because when it's illogical, when it doesn't seem like there's any way it could work, that's when you can't deny the power of God in that moment. When God does things so big that there's no way you could have done it on your own. Because God is God and He'll share His glory with no one. If you want to be the leader in your home, begin to recognize risks that are worth taking. Step up to the plate and put away that that false humility and, and really ask God, God, where am I falling short? Where can I be a better leader for you? And don't be trapped in the mindset of you can't. It doesn't matter if if your dad was an abusive drunk. You're not called to be an abusive drunk. The generational curses that follow your family, they run out with you. It doesn't run in your family anymore. It ran out with you. Because God has called you. And this is one last plea to, to men. God has called you to be the king of your kingdom to build his kingdom. He may be king of your castle, but your castle still sits in the borders of his kingdom. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you are the King of Kings. And that your Father is the commander of heaven's armies. Lord, what a legacy for us to to strive to live up to in our homes as men, as leaders of our family. And Lord, thank you so much for making sure that we had a path to follow, that we have a authority to submit to. And and Lord, I, I just pray that you would continue to build your kingdom. Lord, that that we would see how to lead and to love well because you lead and love well. God, as we go our separate ways today, we ask you watch over us, continue to lead, guide, and direct us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.